Hey everybody, it's Colin. Welcome to the February 2014 edition of the dmbnews.net podcast. Our guest this month is Dave Matthews Band fan extraordinaire Callie. You probably know Callie from all the interviews he's done with DMB members over the years, but today he was the one answering the questions. How he developed such a strong relationship with the band, what his favorite memories are, and more. Callie is a fellow Bostonian, but he now lives down in Florida, so we started by talking about life as a DMB fan in the Sunshine State. So uh, what's the DMB scene like down there? Um, I know it's, you know, growing up here in Boston, um, we kind of take it for granted that uh, there's a, a huge crowd of people who will go, you know, all around the New England and greater Northeast area t- to see the band. Is it the same down there? Uh, well, I got to tell you, you know, that that on a personal level has been a huge adjustment, uh, you know, for so many years being able to uh, hit Mansfield, Hartford and SPAC all, you know, usually within a couple of weeks uh, was an awesome thing to have at your disposal and then to come down and uh, only get the band, you know, with one shot in Tampa, which is usually midweek, which is where I am now. And then West Palm has been a definite uh, personal adjustment, but I will tell you, and you know, this is my personal feelings, uh, you know, not being originally from Florida, I can't say if this is how it really is or not. But to me, it seems that the West Palm uh, two shows have really like taken off and become a destination like SPAC and the Gorge and whatnot over the last few years. I can't say if I, rem- you know, if I remember when living here back in 2005, when Dave played here. Uh, that it was as uh, powerful and emotional as as it is now. And uh, I know for sure that there are a lot of DMB fans locally. Uh, you know, I hear from them on Twitter a lot. Uh, but as I'm sure most of you know, and that the West Palm has become a, just such a huge show. Right, and I think that's probably due to a combination of things, um, you know, for one, it's, uh, it's kind of a destination city in and of itself, a place where people go to vacation. So if you're into the band and you, you see that they're playing there, you can kind of do the whole vacation concert thing. And, and secondly, I think that for being a band that grew up touring all these Southern colleges and playing the frat houses there, they don't play a ton in the South. So, you know, if you're from uh, you know, Georgia or Alabama or Mississippi or South Carolina, and you know, you might get a show in your state or, or two if you're lucky uh, every year. Um, you know, might as well make a weekend of it and, and head on down to Florida. You're absolutely right, and the only thing I wish that they would do, see what you know, what everyone's going to realize is, and I was victim of this in 2005 when I moved down here. Is I'd love to see the band play here outside in December and not July (laughs) because when I moved down here the first time I moved down and literally in the middle of July and I was like I can't wait I drive a Jeep Wrangler I put the top down 24 7 I'll be at the beach and I remember that first weekend going to the beach and I was the only person on the beach (laughs) and within 10 minutes I realized why because in July you can't spend more than 10 minutes outdoors before you're sweating to death and it's a million degrees 
Um, so yeah, I mean, DMB down here is awesome. Though you know those two night stays, and uh, but man, you know if you've never done it, uh, come with uh, light clothing and be prepared to sweat a lot because it can get brutal. Yeah, and, and then you know on the other end of the spectrum, they're playing uh, like upstate New York in May, where last year I think it was you know down in the 30s or 20s by the end of the show. So yeah, right, exactly. Um, so I guess we can uh, start back at the at the beginning. How many shows have you gone to, and when was the first time that you saw the band in concert? The first time, my history goes back with these guys. Um, the first show I ever went to was Foxborough Stadium in 1998. That was on the, that was on the I night remember, I graduated high school. So I did not get yeah, to go to that you know, one. <laughs> I don't think I was too far off uh, on on dates from you because I vaguely remember um, listening to them in the car and you know and I remember the pop station obviously playing Crash and Ants and I really you know I knew the songs I didn't fall in love with them so to speak as as most of us would and I went to that show in Foxborough. And some, whatever it was, I mean, it just it, it, it hooked me in as I'm sure it hooked uh, all the other fans in. And from there, um, I want to say uh, uh, it's got to be somewhere in the 150s to 160s. Wow. And when I tell people that number or that are not DMB fans and sometimes even DMB fans, they look at you like you've got 10 heads. I'll preface this saying it's a lot easier to get to that number when you don't have to pay for tickets, which I haven't had to in the last decade, right? you know, or, or half decade, which I'm very lucky that I, you know, am invited to go, but that's how I've uh, gotten uh, to that to that number and I've loved it. And most of it, you know, you can get to that uh, high number living in new England and hitting Mansfield, uh, Hartford and SPAC. Uh, I've done Darien a couple times, uh, Alpine once I've been to the gorge, uh, about a half a dozen times. I tell anybody that has never done the gorge, do it once. You have to see, it truly is, as, as and not to sound corny, as Dave would say, Heaven's Amphitheater. Uh, you know, to f- obviously seeing them in Florida now that I've lived here twice, and uh, I don't know, probably a few more. So. The Gorge is one of those places where it's obviously a, a beautiful place, but it's also, you know, it's the destination um, you know, there's not a ton of, you know, Eastern Washington locals going to that. It's people from all over the country and the world who are, are hitting that up. And, and it's the most uh, passionate people about the band. So I, I'd imagine that contributes to the environment as well. I would think so. And it, and when you roll into, I mean, it's so cool, especially, you know, no matter where you come from, I would think this is the case. You get to see such an eclectic scene in the sense you fly into Seattle, you get the big city atmosphere. You drive an hour, hour and a half or so, and you're in the mountains as you're on your way to the gorge. 
Then you pop back out on the other side of the mountains and you, you're in what looks like the desert terrain. I mean, you get to see, you know, and then you have these rolling hills uh, in the gorge area built by what I'm assuming are glaciers over the years, the Columbia River Basin. And I mean, it is the most you get to see the most beautiful parts of what this country has to offer in the span of a three hour drive. And I think anybody uh, who loves this band uh, who each loves to even just travel, uh, spend time with great people, uh, because I don't think it's the average, you know, frat Joe guy going to the gorge. You know, it's it's people that get the band and, and know what really the whole weekend is about uh, should make that trip if they haven't already. I haven't yet, but I definitely plan to at some point. Um, I have gotten to see them in all places uh, around the country have gone down to uh, New York and Charlottesville a couple times. And they actually have this very good habit of playing in uh, the greater San Francisco area when I have to go out there for conferences for work. So uh, I've got, That's yeah, cool. I'm going to go to Berkeley this year. I've never gone to Berkeley because uh, I'll be out there that weekend. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Well, make sure you camp too. The other thing is, uh, the Moses Lake police, I mean, I, I, I praise and love our men in uniform, no matter who they are, 24-7, but I swear they look for people that weekend. Um, one, the, one of the first times, a quick story that I went there, we, uh, the second time we stayed in uh, a hotel right off the highway. My buddy uh, got so drunk backstage that, I ended up having to stay sober. I was completely sober. Well, let me let me pre- preface that. We did have uh, beers before we went in. Uh, we had to rent a car. And we were drinking Bud Light at the time. And, you know, it's a place you don't litter, so we put the empties in the back seat. So now fast forward hours from now. I know I was completely sober. He was completely hammered. To the point where I had to have somebody uh, who works for the band drive us in the golf cart up to the car before the show even ended, and we and to take him home, which was fine. I mean, I was laughing the whole time; he was hysterical. Um, but anyways, I dropped him off at the hotel, and I said, "I'm going to go get you some food. Go to run up to the Taco Bell. I'm coming back." I got pulled over for literally going like two miles an hour over the speed limit. And the guy was just, he was looking for Dave Matthews fans. You know, he, he said, you one of these, you know, you one of these people that just comes in for the weekend thinking that you own the place, blah, blah, blah. You know, a pleasant, nice. No, sir, definitely not. I'm, I'm, I'm actually trying to help my friend now. He's back at the hotel. And he ended up, and he said to me, he goes, you realize it's Friday night of, of Labor Day weekend. If I put you in jail tonight, you won't see a judge until Tuesday. Well, of course, as a young college kid, that, you know, all of us, you know, almost messed myself hearing that. And uh, he ended up letting me go, thankfully. I get back to the hotel, and I went to reach around the seat to grab my backpack, and I hear the rumble of empty cans. Oh. And I forgot the Bud Light cans were back there. Now, thankfully, this cop didn't go back to – Seat, you know, go in the back seat and look, or it would have ended 
disastrously, but you know, be careful when you're out that weekend. Stay on property. It's it's so much better that it, just for the uh, feeling alone of camping amongst uh, your Dave Matthews brethren than than driving the twenty to forty minutes it takes to get to Moses Lake. Yeah, it definitely contributes to the whole weekend experience. So going back to you go to the first show in Foxborough in '98. Um, yeah, how old were you at that time? Um. I graduated high school in 96, so I don't know. So you're two years out of high school at the time. Two years out of high school at the time. I was lucky enough. I knew as a kid uh, that I wanted to be in radio. Um, You know, that's how you and I met. That's how this whole thing with Dave Matthews Band really started. And I was lucky enough that when I got out of uh, to, to get an internship in radio, you had to be in college. So I got into UMass Lowell. I called the radio station literally the day that I got into school and I called them relentlessly for three weeks until finally they said, come in. We're sick of you calling. You can answer the phones one night a week. Now, this was for the pop station in Boston, um, Kiss 108. I worked there for uh, a couple of years. I actually ended up getting hired full-time, but it was an odd job. I went to the general manager saying, you know, I'll take the mail to the post office. I'll call on collections. I'll do whatever it takes um, to get this job. But as radio and the world corporate it was harder to justify that job so after a couple of years of of working there i got let go and i called over to the uh, local rock stations where my heart was to begin with wbcn now for those of you who don't know wbcn sadly it's not around anymore uh it was the heritage rock station in Boston for God knows how many years and a pioneer in radio uh, throughout the country. I mean, it was the biggest station to work for. And I met with a guy who oversaw the promotions department named Chachi. I completely BS'd him and made it seem like we knew each other. I said, hey, you know, this is Mark. Uh, I used to work at uh, Kiss 108. Uh, You know, we've met a bunch of times, uh, but, you know, uh, due to budgets, I was let go. Uh, Do you have anything? And, you know, this guy really, to this day still, is a guy that has a heart of gold. And he said, you know, I can only give you part-time work. So I took the job worked my way up and within six months I was full-time again and and working as the promotion director at WBCN um, which by the way you know looking back on my entire 20s I feel like I was the luckiest man on the face of the earth I got to do and and live and 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 just Dream things that people could only dream of being a part of that radio station. And I don't say that to like be haha or sound cocky. I say it because, A, when you're in your young 20s growing up, you don't realize what you're in and, and to enjoy the moment. And, B, that the radio station's not around anymore. 
Um, and, and, and it's a sad thing. It is. And just for the people who are listening who might not be from Boston or, or familiar with it, Callie's not just saying this stuff about BCN because he worked there. Um, it's the station that I listened to and all my friends listened to growing up. Um, they're the station that the first station in America that played U2 and broke a bunch of other bands there. Uh, it was a really big deal. And, um, you know, they're, they're still talked about very fondly here in the, here in town. And, and, you know, we got to do a lot of cool things, but my, it, it kicked off with me and the Dave Matthews band. I want to say 2000, 2001, where I was, we were working, a. a on-air promotion with the X Games, basically promoting the X Games. And my contact for the X Games at the time, I didn't know, was also uh, worked for Dave Matthews' band. So he calls me up and he says, how's the X Games promotions going? I said, great, blah, blah, blah. You know, we get to talking. uh, And he says, are you a fan of the Dave Matthews' band? I said, well, to be perfectly honest with you, you know, I I just saw them within the last year or two at Foxborough Stadium, and yes, they uh, I, I've fallen in love with them. And, and this was the time, even before, you know, just on the cusp of technology, where my buddy and I would drive into Harvard Square to a mom and pop CD store and spend sixty dollars on a three CD set to get live at Giant Stadium. You know, this was before you could really, like, download everything. Right, and there was no technology to do it. And if you weren't involved in the, the taper community to get the, the mail, the s- tapes or CDs mailed to you, I mean, it was it was hard. I had the same thing um, when I went to college in Syracuse. There was a, a record store right off of campus called Oliver's, and they had a whole bootleg section in the back. And I knew, you know, it was something the band kind of cracked down on and the, the fans frowned upon, but it was the easiest and you know, as far as I, the, yeah, only way. the only way I didn't know any better. I mean, I wasn't that much of a Dave Matthews band groupie, so to speak, that that a I did, you know, that I even knew it was frowned upon or 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 knew that, it, you know, it wasn't the best way to do it. I didn't know any other way. I wasn't, you know, in any fan club at that point or anything like that. But I got to explaining to him you know, that I was a fan. And he said, well, you know, I also work with Dave Matthews band, uh, and Stefan is going to be appearing at the Boston ski and, uh, snow sports expo. Would you like to come down and meet him? I said, yeah, of course I would love to. I said, what are the chances I can interview him? He, yeah, of course. You know, now, these guys, so now I, I'm psyched. I've got an interview with Stefan Lassard. At that point, even at WBCN, I was more behind the scenes, not on the air as much. So it, it wasn't like this big deal at the time, um, except really to me and happened to make it a big deal. And how that happened is so I get down to the expo and I sit with Stefan in front of a bunch of fans for probably a half hour, 45 minutes. I mean, all these interviews are archived. And uh, the interview was from a fan's perspective. And I think they were expecting the typical DJ type interview where it's like, oh, do you prefer boxers or briefs? You know, have you had any, 
Have you hooked up with any celebrities? You know, I asked real questions. Not like, why haven't you played Let You Down in 10 years or, or something like that? Exactly. It was things like that. I mean, I, I did my research, but I also knew the research. Like, it wasn't like I had to even study up on the band. I knew what to ask. So I come back to the radio station. We played snippets of it on the air, but I posted it online. And I just remember going on the fan sites at the time, which were like uh, Minarets, uh, Am I Dreaming? Uh, I can't even remember if Ants was around then. And just saying, oh, and the warehouse. The warehouse even ended up posting it. I mean, you know, this was the in the infancy of, of, of all these things. And it just took off from there. And, and, and it got listened to a lot. You know, I don't know the exact number, but now we know that obviously what the uh, impact has been of your interviews with the band in the in the fan community. But that that first time you you do this really in depth, you know, kind of hardcore fan interview, and then you bring it back to the radio station. What did what was their reaction? They um, they loved the 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 quality of the questions. Um. They, being from a big radio station, uh, I had to educate them because I, I don't want this to sound like a, a slight to Fonz in the lightest, uh, in the slightest because uh, he has been so good to me. But, you know, these radio stations, if you don't hear that you're interviewing the name of the band, Dave Matthews, you know, uh, they don't think it's that much of a big deal. So they allowed me to play the snippets on air and post it online. Um, they didn't know that it was going to be as big as it was going to be. So that first one was like, oh, okay, you interviewed, you know, a guy in a band. Um, but once that took off and we did it again, and the same thing happened. And we did it again, and the same thing happened. Um, they took notice. And uh, it became a, a, a yearly ritual uh, and became very close with uh, the guys in the band that are close to Fonz and Fonz himself and was very, very lucky for that. And it turned into... Um, the first time interviewing Dave was 2003. Um, the radio station normally would have sent its A-list DJ. You know, uh, I was not that. I was the promotion director, but I was also on air on the weekends and hosting nightclubs and stuff like that. But because... Um, they knew you had that rapport with the band, and they knew would get they would get this audience that they probably wouldn't get otherwise. The, the PD threw me a bone and let me do it, and it was um, awesome as a personal experience. It's Dave and I sitting across from each other in his hotel room in a suite somewhere in downtown Boston. The engineers rigged the cords to go into another room, so it was literally he and I sitting face to face. I had 10 minutes, I stretched it to 15, and at the end of the interview, he played Gravedigger acoustically, literally just for me, face-to-face. 
Um, and, and that one, you know, that really took off and, you know, not to go down the line, uh, of, of interviews, but, you know, from the first interview with Stefan till this day, um, you know, I, 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 am built quite a rapport of interviewing these guys, uh, that, that the fans seem to enjoy because it's from a fan perspective. And I know, you know, the band likes, um, you know, because it is, uh, it is about them. Right. And it's a way to connect to the fans, you know, through somebody who understands what, what they're saying and what, what's going to be important to the listeners and everything. There was only one time where, uh, the train kind of got derailed. And I don't know if you'll remember this because it aired on CNN. Is this the, uh, is this the one where you asked Stefan about the Dave and friends solo tour? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know if you'd remember because, um, you know, people don't often remember the person who does the interview, but just remembers the question. But uh, from what I remember, and again, my memory is is fuzzy at times from all the years of partying, being in radio. But I swear uh, to this day that I th- I believe that I was called saying, hey, Fonz would like to talk to you. Uh, do you have time? It wasn't me asking to do the interview. I could be wrong. I will say that definitely, but I, I, I don't think I am. I think that he had something, you know, he wanted to get off his chest and he had somebody he could rely on to do it. And we did this interview. It was the time of Dave and friends. And, uh, I don't remember the exact question, but I remember the exact answer which was Fawn saying, if Dave, when Dave wants to come back and play with the big boys, we'll be waiting. And I remember looking at my engineer sitting across from me as he said that, and I was just like, oh boy. Like I knew that wasn't going to sit well. Um, you know, but posted it, and it went out to the, to the universe, and uh, I did get a call sit from upper management saying, you know, uh, from now on, you know, you got to screen your questions by us. Um, which never happened by the way. I think that they were just reacting at the moment. I don't know what else ever ended up happening after that, but I do know that, you know, it must've caused, um, some type of reaction from that quote. And, you know, maybe that's what he was trying to accomplish by, by doing it. And when people, you know, when people come back and say, well, you know, how, how, how dare he or, or, uh, how, you know, how can he take for granted what he's in, what I tell people, and I, I truly believe this because I've been doing this, I've been in radio, um, since I was, uh, 18. Fonz has been doing this since he was 16. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care how much money you're making. When you are doing something starting at age 16 and you're still doing it now, what is he? He's got to be almost 40. You're going to get burnt out at times. You're going to get bored. I mean, despite the fact of what band you're playing in and how much money you're making, going in day in and day out, uh, having the same job 
I think has to be tough. Right. Not just on him, on all. And of the them. thing is, you you see the the band, and they're always having such a good time on stage. And you know, for the longest time, there was never any drama or you know sense of anything going wrong at all. And I think everybody just kind of had their blinders on and assumed that you know every other band has their problems, but DMB does not have their problems. And now we've come to realize over the past you know couple of years that that wasn't the case and it hasn't been the case for a long time. But I think that was kind of the first time where people were like, Hey, wait a minute. This isn't supposed, this isn't supposed to happen to our band. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I think, you know, I, I have seen, I've seen and heard things, but I haven't been around enough to know things. Um, you know, but I think it just, I, I think it goes back to actually something Dave said. And, and I think the first interview I did with him, you know, these guys, uh, he said something like, you know, we spent every night, every day, five or six guys in one van smelling each other's coffee. He said, uh, you know, you're bound to get on each other's nerves. And I, you know, I think obviously as the as the hardcore fan would know that uh, around the time of Dave and Friends and how the Everyday album played out, I don't think it was uh, the best atmosphere for these guys. Um, but I think that we're lucky that that they pulled through that and came out on the other side. And I think that you know. I think that these guys, and this is my opinion, uh, realize and understand that the Dave Matthews Band is also a company, you know, and and it's their job to go out and and do their job night in and night out, and uh, they have found a way to uh, work together and make it work to where. They're close, you know, they, they, they get the job done and uh, pull off the most amazing things night in and night out. Right. And, you know, just because they're not, um, you know, all best friends and they might not, you know, all tour in the same bus or, you know, go out to dinner after the show all together, that doesn't mean that the initial, you know, love and respect that brought them together isn't, isn't still there. Because if that wasn't still there, the, the band wouldn't still be there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, people have to understand that at the end of the day, you know, they're, for lack of a better term, co-workers. Right. You know, um, but I, I, I'm, I am glad that uh, these guys are still around because someday, who knows when, it'll all go away. And, and in my life, personally, it will undoubtedly leave a void. Definitely. Um, so I want to go back. You've, you've talking about you know the, all the great interviews you've done, but um, your relationship with the band and, and the DMB community goes beyond that. You've also gone out of your way uh, numerous times to do things for the fans. I know I've gone to several events that you've emceed um, when you were up here in Boston, uh, pre-show parties. Um, there was something up in uh, New Hampshire where we, there was a a stand-up listening party before the album came out at a ski resort. Um, yep. You organized a trip to uh, Central Park. I won a trip to Toronto on BCN when you were there. Um, what's that like, just being able to share the connection you have and, and the benefits you get from the band with, with the community at large? Most of it goes back to one person who works for the band, whose name I'm you know, obviously not going to give out. 
but he was the guy from that initial conversation back in 2001 to today who remains one of my best friends um whom i care for and love dearly and at any moment uh i can pick up the phone and say hey listen can we put something together um and he will go out of his way to get it done uh, he is a master marketer in the sense that he, you know, because I can say, hey, can we do an interview with Fonz? And, you know, the band is close with Ben and Jerry's. So he can take my simple request, go to Ben and Jerry's, say, can we host it here? He and I create this big radio promotion to where the first however many people or or till capacity gets into Ben and Jerry's downstairs at uh, in Boston on Newberry Street, get to sit in on this exclusive interview uh, and meet Fonz or, you know, the stand up thing, you know, hey, can can we do something cool around the album? And he comes up with, you know, this people itching to get in because you get to hear it before anybody else. Um, this guy uh, is, is, has been amazing to me over the last, you know, God, I hate to say it cause it makes me feel so old, but if you're talking about 2001, you know, you're getting close to 15 years um, has, has, has been great. And to be able to do, I've always lived by this and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, you know, doing stuff for the radio station is cool. It makes me look good to the bosses. It's cool promotions, but it has always allowed me to give back to the fans. And that's all I've ever really wanted to accomplish is to be able to give things to the fans, uh, during this, amazing ride that I've been on that, that I don't deserve. And I am completely blessed that I have. Uh, I, I noticed um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, you went on a uh, Instagram tear uh, posting some of your DMB memorabilia. What's the uh, coolest thing you have uh, from the band hanging in your place? <clears throat> the coolest thing I have um I have, uh, let's see, I'm looking at a, uh, a framed plaque that is from every day that's got a picture of Dave in the top hat, which I believe is from uh, the Rolling Stone cover, signed by Dave, that only a few people have. I think one of my favorite possessions I have is when WBCN went under, I was able to, I was given the gold record presented to WBC and it says on it, I'm looking at it now, uh, with the gold CD inside for under the table and dreaming. Oh, wow. Nobody else has that. But, you know, to be honest, my favorite things are the all access passes I get every year. Um, because I, what, when I get that and I look at it, I really, I'm just like, I'm floored because 
here is this biggest band in the world. And, you know, now I'm working for a sports station in Tampa. It's not like a music station. I've shifted from station to station in times to where they play Dave and they don't. But the one thing that doesn't change is the way that these guys treat their friends, you know, and I could be laid off uh, tomorrow and I think that I would still be treated the same way I, I have been uh, just because, you know, these guys are really are down to earth and good people and take care of people that have helped them or been with them along the way. Right. And I think that the fans feel that and, and you know, that's part of the reason why they've been able to have such long, successful, successful careers. These two stories are my favorite memory and, and, and will supersede anything that you could ever get uh, signed or autographed or whatnot memorabilia from this band um, that I hope, uh, you know, people get to hear this is a, uh, this train that you, you, we talked about earlier. um, It came about, from working with the band, I mean, again, it was a relationship thing. I was floored that this happened where they said, we're going to give you, uh, it was like 48 uh, tickets to Central Park VIP uh, hotel rooms for each winner. So like 24 rooms and train to and from the show. You create an on-air promotion and give these away. And, I mean, at that time in 03, it was still early on. I'm like, I can't believe that, 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 that I'm working with the Dave Matthews Band like this. You know, they didn't need my help on Central Park. But regardless, we ended up with a train full. And like I said, I swore that you were on this train, but that's how bad my memory is. We ended up with a cast of characters to where we left Boston at 6 a.m. We convinced the train people to open the bar. We were all trashed probably by 8 a.m. on the way to the train. I mean, on the way to New York City. We had a great time in New York. We all went to the concert. But what ended up happening on the way back is uh, the train broke down in between New York and Connecticut for six hours. Now, you would think that was miserable, but the train opened up the bar for all of these winners. We all drank, sang, and it was the craziest six hours of my entire life and one of the most fun trips I've ever been on. I mean, laughing hysterically. And it's a memory that uh, I will never, ever forget. But I think that the best one of all time, and and this is how I'll remember it, uh, despite, you know, what may or may not have really happened, um, was at the Gorge, one of the, you know, right around the same time. I had my all-access pass. I'm, you know, Joe Cool guy, especially when you're younger, you know, flashing it around. Hey, any lady looking at it, you know. And uh, 
people may not know, but the band travels with this backstage lounge uh, that's open bar. And it was the year before opened after the show. This year it happened to have been closed, but it was the first night and I didn't know it. So here I am, Joe Cool, with my past, gathering up my friends and a couple of girls. Uh, hey, let's all, I'll take you all backstage to the lounge. And we get up to the gate and like nothing is wrong, you know, the head of security's there with his flashlight. He's like, Callie, you know, it's a crowd of people as usual. He sees me. He's like, Callie, how many are you with? I'm like, blah, 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 blah. It's like eight of us. He's like, all right, go ahead back. That we got back there, and that's when I realized the lounge was closed. And I said, What's going on? Well, they moved the buses closer to the venue, which were closer to the lounge, and they didn't open it because it was too close to the band. They didn't want, you know, people being right there. I mean, you could literally walk into the backstage area from that area. So, I was, you know, the lights were on, the, the bar was open, and from 11 o'clock at night till like 5 o'clock in the morning, I partied backstage with my friends until the sun came up. Uh, at different points, you know, earlier on throughout the night, a couple of the band guys stopped by, other people stopped by and drank with us. We had the music going. But in, in my memory for the rest of my life, you know, I'll, I'll go to my grave saying I was lucky enough, like for some odd reason, was let in when nobody else was and was able to have my own cool gig, you know, back. That's pretty awesome. And that to me, you know, that that was the greatest, greatest, greatest night of my life. So what are your tour plans for this year? Um, I'm still debating. I mean, I'm definitely going to go to Tampa. Obviously that's home base now. So if anybody comes to Tampa or is in Tampa area, Hey, I don't have any, I haven't really made a ton of friends. So feel free to reach out to me. Uh, can I shamelessly plug my Twitter account? Go for it. It's Cali C A L I surf S U R F 41 Cali surf 41. Um, you know, I'd love to meet people in the area uh, that are fans just to be friends. Um, but Tampa is a stop, obviously. I, and I have hotels on hold for West Palm, which uh, most likely will happen. And I always try to make it to Hartford. If I don't go to Hartford this year, it'll be the first year that I haven't gone uh, since, you know, like it all began in 98. Um, but the only reason it would be is because I'm trying to convince a friend of mine to do one more last, like, at least guy weekend. The I've gone with two people over the last however many years who we are all in the same group of friends, but we've never gone together. So I'm trying to get, you know, my guy, four guy friends to all go for one last hurrah. Nice. I bet that'll be fun. Hope you can pull it off. I hope so, too. I'm going to Mansfield, which is only one night this year. Uh, and then they're, they're playing that, that new stop up in Bangor. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit that. It's pretty cool that they're adding these uh, smaller stops throughout the way. Yeah. I mean, it's good because, you know, 
Bangor is a little ways up there, and you can say, oh, it's close to Massachusetts, but it's it's a good four-hour drive from Mansfield up there. So I think there's a lot of people who probably didn't have the opportunity to go before who who will now. And if if you want, if you live in Massachusetts and you still want to make the trek up there, you can do that too. So it's cool. Now, what do you think of their decision to go to this two-set? I can't wait. I think it's going to be awesome. I was just going to ask you the same question, but. Um, I mean, in theory, I'm picturing it's going to be more time with the band playing since there's apparently no opening acts. Um, I think the acoustic set is going to give them a lot more opportunities to play new songs that they might not play a lot or that they, um, you know, might give different treatments to, you know, if it's something uh, that they always play electric, if they want to, you know, take out acoustic guitars and, and stand up basses uh, and that sort of thing. I think um, we're in for a lot of different stuff that we've never seen before. What about you? I am excited. I think it's something that is long overdue. I think they take, I hope that they take advantage of it. Because here's the, the only gripe I've ever had over the years is, uh, and I think a lot of the hardcore fans that especially follow the set lists will, will understand, is... I've always thought that these guys are more of the type that don't even need to make a set list, so to speak. I would love to just see these guys go out there and play and feed off each other. And whatever comes out, comes out. You know, whether it's a Dave song, whether it's a cover song, whether it's acoustic. um, I just always felt it was too much of um like a corporate like atmosphere in the way they do the set list right i mean what i've heard dave say is um i'm paraphrasing obviously but you know i don't think at least him i'm not sure about how many you know who else in the band but at least dave isn't really comfortable you know just you know responding to something that someone yells out that he hasn't played in five years and I hope, and I and I don't think, obviously, that, that that what I just said will happen. But I hope it it gets them a little bit closer to that just relaxed atmosphere. To whatever happens, happens. As much of it is a, a, a marketing, let's sell tickets because it's something different um, promotion. But it's also an opportunity to, for the band themselves to to challenge themselves and, and try something new. And I think it's important for them at this stage of their careers to be doing things like that because it's, if you go out there and you're playing two and a half hours every night and you're mixing up the set list, but it's, it's basically the same thing every night, just different songs. Um, this is going to be something completely different and they're going to be out of their comfort zone. And I'm excited to see what comes of that. Yeah. And eventually, you know, it's a good thing because eventually these guys are going to get bored. Eventually somebody you know, uh, is going to say, I've got enough money. Um, so I think by freshening it up, will hopefully re-energize these guys to the point where, you know, maybe this will take them another, you know, five, six years. And we can all breathe easy knowing that, we can look forward to our summers staying the same. And even if they just do it this one year, but then they go back to the way they've always done it, that's new because they haven't done it in two years. So they'll be refreshed. They'll be refreshed that way too. I think it's a can't lose from that perspective. I'm anxious to see if they, if, if they really do embrace um, 
the guest spot, you know, as the quote unquote press release says, or if they just, you know, market more the guests that they've had over the years. Cause you know, we're all surprised when a Stanley Jordan comes out, you know, or, um, Carlos Santana comes out or if it's just something, you know, all right, we're going to this town. We know this guy's going to be here and we just announce it ahead of time. You know, I wonder if it's something that they're actively, you know, the, the tour people now are like, all right, hey, X artist, are you available on these dates? You know, are you available here? Or if it's just kind of how things have run, but just treating it a little differently. Does that make right, sense? Right, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of leery of of that part of the press release, too, because I remember back, I think it was 99, when they did that listener-supported show. Um, that mm-hmm. was billed as like a, you know, Dave Matthews Band and guests thing, and the only guests on that show were Butch and the lovely ladies. So, you know, what the band thinks of as, as special guests and what the fans think of as special guests aren't always the same thing. There's a guy that I've not interviewed that I know was on Twitter that I've not asked that I would love to have a sit down with his Butch yes, Taylor. I bet if he was uh, candid and honest, I bet there would be a very interesting conversation. Yeah, I would love that. That's one guy I've yet to interview that I think would be in a, a great, uh, if like you said, was open and, and as honest as he could be, would be great. And also, you know, as weird as it is, I've, I, there's one question that every year after my interview with Fonz or whomever I'm interviewing, I always come back and say to myself, you forgot to ask it again. I always want to know whatever happened to the lovely ladies. And Butch. I mean, the two of them. I mean, you know, the lovely ladies just kind of disappeared. But, you know, Butch was kind of very abrupt, like five days before the tour started. Oh, hey, Butch isn't coming. Tim's here. Carry on. Oh, yeah, no, totally. That one's that one's a big one. But, uh, you know, I've always I've always end up sitting down and I I just I, I picture that look on Fonz's faces that I face that I think would happen if I just said, where are the lovely ladies <laughs> and what are they up to now? He'd probably look at me like, how the F right, do I yeah. know? Uh, I, I enjoyed <laughs> them like watching them and hearing them. I liked their performances and what they brought to a show. My big problem with them was when you saw them, you knew when you saw those three extra microphones on the side of the stage, you knew that you were getting a handful of songs guaranteed that they were going to play stay. They were going to play this song. They were going to play that song. And the half of the fun of going to a Dave show is the unpredictability of it. And I, I felt like they took away from that. And that was my biggest problem. Oh, with them. I have a buddy of mine and I'll call him out by name, Marty. He lives in Boston. He's a pain in the ass because he, I don't know guitars from left from right. He will, he knows guitars and he'll start spitting out once he sees what type of guitar <laughs> Dave has. And it pisses me off to no end. I like this surprise factor Me myself. Too. And the good thing is now, I mean, I used to be able to do that a little, but there's he has so many different guitars now that it's it's hard to keep track. He used to just have, you know, the twelve string and the six string and, and maybe the electric. Uh but now I feel like he has, you know, a choice of ten, so so let me ask you, I don't want to make it all about me. I mean, I'm a radio guy who's used to interviewing people. What's your favorite Dave Matthews memory? 
Okay, so I was, uh, I, we actually talked about this uh, two episodes ago when the uh, guys from DMB Almanac were on, um, and two of us had the same memory. Um, we were both at the Madison Square Garden show in 2002 when James Brown came out. I was there that as well. was incredible. Um, I, I knew that some people knew about it in advance, but I was, you know, in New York with friends that, that whole weekend, and it was before we had smartphones, so I was completely in the dark. Um, and you know, they're, they're jamming at the end of, uh, too much at the end of the set or what I thought was the end of the set. And I saw them, uh, setting up a, a second microphone. And honestly, I thought that something was wrong with Dave's mic and they were just fixing, putting up a new mic so that Dave could finish the song and that would be it. Um, and then when Dave stepped to his original mic and, and said, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the godfather of soul, James Brown, like my friend and I just looked at each other and, and like. Jaws, jaws, jaws literally dropped. It was, it was incredible. So that was, I got that was easily number one. Funny ones from that, from that night. One that was, I think, the first night I was ever allowed backstage. Oh wow! Um, and my and my friend with the band was like, "Come eat dinner," and you know, I guess that's a big deal just to get into dinner. I didn't even know that at the time. And I was sitting at the table with my buddy of mine, and, and Dave's wife was at the table next to us, and his two little twins were little babies. And they kept running up and playing with uh, me and my friend. Now, I didn't – at the time, I, I again, I was new to it. I didn't know who they were at the right. time. I just kept playing with these two adorable little twins, um, which – I came to find out, you know, we're Dave's kids. So that was kind of funny. But the the best part of the night and one of the funniest, funniest things uh, that ever happened is my seats were directly behind Jason Biggs. Oh, wow. And those Madison Square Garden seats on the floor, the folding chairs for some reason, the bottom um, – I don't know what you'd call them. The bottom parts of the chair stuck out abnormally long. And of course I know I had probably a, a few more beers than I'm used to. Uh, but I came back to my seat with a beer and my foot clipped oh, no. the chair and I spilt a full beer down the back of Jason. How did Dicks. he take it? Not well, not well. And I told them the story uh, in in Killington, Vermont, I think it was. Uh, and when he came out and played Cowbell with Yukon, and he remembered it vividly, but it, he was not happy. But that's what I remember about that James Brown. Well, at least you uh, got the chance to meet up with him again and you know say, oh, I'm also Stefan's friend. Uh, I'm the guy who did that. Uh, I'm sorry. And I think he hates me to this day still for it. I mean, it was a full beer drenched down his back. Well, you got a funny story out of it at least. All right, last thing for you. If there's one thing, Dave Matthews Band related, no matter what it is, Meaning a place to go, a place to see them, a song to hear. Like, what would make your Dave Matthews experience complete to this Ooh, day? That's a good one. Um, the easy answer is go to the Gorge because I've never gone there. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, this is kind of random. I've seen them 60 times, and I've seen them yeah. play all sorts of random stuff. I've seen them um, play 
Halloween several times. I've seen them play. I saw them play 34 the first time. The first time they played Bartender before it was Bartender. I've seen lots of really rare stuff. Um, but I've never seen them play Lover Lay Down, which is a fairly common song. It gets played a handful of times every year at least. And yeah. um, I don't even like the song that much, but it's just kind of one of those things where I'm like, really? How have I not seen that over 60 shows? So I think if I got to see them at the Gorge and play Lover Lay Down there, I'd be all set. That's a good one. So we're just coming up on an hour. I want to thank you so much for your time, Callie. There's nobody more uh, generous in the DMB community, and there's probably nobody that uh, the rest of the fans are, are more envious of than you. So thanks a lot for your time. Oh, my pleasure, man. Anytime. Anytime. Right. Thank you all for listening to the dmbnews.net podcast and visiting us on dmbnews.net. You can follow us on Twitter at dmbnewsnet. And we're also on Facebook. So check us out there. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you again next month. And hit me up on Twitter, CaliSurf41.